So good morning, everybody. In the off chance that we lose connection, this happened in the practice day, I will hold on then and I will try to connect through my phone. Without Corin and Dojin, um, it's Brian and I are um, trying to work the technology. So there have been uh, two threads in the recent talks at Stone Creek. One is the compassion practice of the Lo Jong slogans, and the other is the social urgencies of our time. And for those of you, there's, there are people here who haven't uh, tuned in previously, these Lo Jong teachings are a series of slogans that are intended to uh, bring our compassion to hand when we need it. They're a way of cutting through the complication of the moment to find a way to respond. And social urgencies are always with us, but now is such a heightened moment. Black Lives Matter, systemic racism, gross economic inequality, the pandemic. So these two threads in recent talks are, of course, really one thread. Caring for the well-being of myriad beings, the heart of our bodhisattva vow. So the focus on compassion is how shall we act? So it's our whole life. On what basis and to what end? And how will I act as I want to act rather than in some other cockamamie reactive fashion? How can I contribute to the well-being of the people I love? the well-being of our society. How can we each go in the direction of relieving suffering and increasing joy in others and in ourselves? It's our life question. So we practice the Buddha way, we say. We have formally or informally taken vows, vows of aspiration to relieve suffering. So our bodhisattva vow is first to wake up, to wake up and reach out as one, one gesture. To aim and move toward freedom and an end to suffering for all beings. So compassion is the heartbeat and the vital breath of our practice end of our life. And we can equally say wisdom is the heartbeat and breath of our practice, because they're not separate. Wisdom and compassion are just two perspectives on one reality. Our bodhisattva practice of waking up and reaching out begins in the waking up. Waking up to reality, studying what that is, what that may be, and how to wake up to it. The practice is to aim to wake up to reality so we can act effectively. Because without action, it's uh, well, waking up is itself an action, but it needs the arc of that action needs to complete with the movement of our body, because that's the kind of being we are. 
And the inner practice that we speak of as waking up is never separate from the outer. The inner and outer are completely commingled. Whether an action starts out and comes in or starts in and goes out, it's the same arc, the same cycle and circle. We each and all others are completely commingled, far beyond how we can conceive. And the heart of both our wisdom and compassion in the Buddha way is to recognize this, that our whole life is commingled with others, that ourself and others are not two, that our life and all lives are interpenetrated, radically entwined. Our practice is to keep reaching awareness of this over and over and to keep living in terms of this to keep returning to this when we endlessly forget. Anything I've said here, I've said myriad times, and I need to remember it over and over, and you each need to remember it over and over because our minds cloud and we go to sleep and we get distracted. And so that's a a lot of what Sangha is, that that cohort of like-mindedness in which we remind each other of our aim, of our aspiration, and of who we are. And who we want to be. So you are precious to each other, to me, to the world. So these uh, the Lojong teachings, uh, Corin and Dojin have been presenting them. They're called training in relative compassion. Compassion about the interactions of self and other, of you and the world. And relative is a dicey word. No, it, it sounds like a lesser form of compassion. It's only relative. No? And it was long treated that way. And this misunderstanding about the meaning of relative um, led generations of Buddhists and Zen maybe in particular to focus only on what was called absolute. Thinking that that would be more true. Doesn't absolute sound bigger and better than relative? Most of us, in terms of language, it tends to. And that is all just our crazy human hierarchical thinking. What relative means is in relation with. And that is a fundamental truth of life. The fundamental truth of life. And of the universe of matter and dark matter. matter, It's relation. We are always in relation. And all compassion, whether you call it absolute or relative, is in relation with. There is no other way for animals or plants or stars to be outside of. There is no outside of in relation. And that can be rather abstract, which is, where practices of breath come in. We could connect to the vital breath of our relational life, literally through our breath. Our whole life depends on taking in and sending out oxygen. Without oxygen being received and oxygen and CO2 and other things given out, your life doesn't last long. No life lasts. We are giving, giving and receiving at all times. 
We're sharing everything from oxygen to carbon dioxide to love. So all our practices are based on understanding that we are all completely interconnected, that we live in an endlessly calling and responding universe. We are endlessly not only connected, but made of each other. It's not just a view or an opinion. It's a powerful lens or maybe a filter for seeing that all is changing, seeing what is. What is, is all changing. There are other ways equally valid to look at reality that doesn't make this any less valid. And the, the, the Buddhism is described as practical. I remember Katagiri Roshi said it's really practical. And it didn't make sense to me because it was so, seemed so grand and abstract to me. It's practical. And this is a, this, this interdependence and impermanence is a practical lens or perspective on reality because it relates us to it and we know who we are and we can learn to live and act in terms of it. So breath. Breath is central to Zazen and it's central to Tonglen. Uh, the Tonglen is a practice of a breath practice focused on giving and receiving, and it's the source practice for the Lojong slogans that have been taught here. So Tonglen, it's a Tibetan word, meaning sending and receiving. So it's just a shorthand. It's not Tibetan, it's not Japanese, it's not American, it's a, it's a nice shorthand term. So Tonglen is a way of practicing compassion through the taking in and sending out of your breath. In a sense, breathing in suffering and breathing out ease and comfort and wishes for well-being. So on the in-breath, you breathe in trouble. You breathe in difficulty. You breathe in ease as well. You breathe in laughter. But you also make a point in this practice of breathing in what is difficult, what is troubled and not suffering directly. Uh, Pema Chodron points out that suffering is caustic. It burns and is not meant to be directly absorbed. That, being, that burdens us and being burdened uh, just adds to the suffering and it tends to paralyze us. So in this practice, you focus on a particular suffering in a particular person and you breathe in awareness of this problem sympathy for this problem. You aim to breathe in an understanding and a sense of this problem with some feeling of it so that you, in a sense, know it without actually sucking in a, a, a harmful poison that in a degree to which we can't. We have to take in, we take in poison all the time, but in degrees and amounts that we can tolerate. So we breathe in awareness of this problem along with on that in-breath, our heartfelt wish that the person or other being be free of this suffering and our longing that they be relieved of it. So you're breathing in your wish for their welfare. You're longing for their suffering to be removed. And this wish coming in meets the compassionate attitude already present in you, but perhaps 
not we're not aware of it at that moment. What is it? We're aware of maybe someone said a five percent of our possible conscious awareness at any one time. So this consciously breathing in compassionate thoughts brings up to us our own already present compassion, makes that more conscious. And they mingle. And you breathe out. Your out-breath made of your in-breath changed by your body and mind, by the way what you took in met who and what you are so that you can send it out changed. And of course, it always goes out changed. I think what we're aiming for in a bodhisattva practice is to aim to, to give out positive, loving, or compassionate, or healing qualities and actions. So you're in doing this breath, you're harnessing the energy of your life to that of others. There's a gift there. There's a gift in receiving, becoming more aware of ourselves, and there's a gift in sharing our life energy with others. The uh, in-breath brings both suffering and fresh vitality inside. What they meet, what is there, mingle, interact. Then the out-breath expresses and relieves, releases the result of that encounter inside you. And if you want to do this practice as a specific practice of giving and receiving with your breath, it's always best to start with someone close to you until it feels settled in you and you know that you're not absorbing suffering and getting overwhelmed by it or needing to turn away from it. Then you can begin to widen the circle or focus of the practice. You can breathe in awareness and caring then about the homeless in Sonoma County, about the Rohingya in Myanmar or not in Myanmar at the time, this time, about Muslim Americans uh, in, uh, I think it's Virginia, denied a cemetery to bury their dead their own way. Can breathe in awareness of the of racism affecting and crushing so many people, affects us all and crushes so many. And you can breathe out your wish and your longing for them to be free and untrammeled as you wish yourself to be free and untrammeled. You and they are not separate in this wish. It is one of the ways, the breaking in and especially the giving out, that we know our shared nature, that we live that out. We wish that their needs be met, that long-standing wrongs be righted for others and ourselves. And of course, giving and receiving practice doesn't end with the breath. In this interdependent world, the giving and receiving practice encourages your effort to work, to take your hands forth in behalf of others in ways that carry the intention of the in and out breath of compassion. About a thousand years ago, maybe more, Master Yunmen, one of our favorite Zen masters to invoke, Chinese master said in a very famous koan, medicine and disease cover the earth. 
the whole earth is medicine. And then he added, where do you find the self? So we breathe in affliction and cure, and we breathe out both medicine and disease. This is human life. We do not purify an impure world. We are each both pure and impure. And all the world is like this too. Medicine and disease cover the earth. Our bodhisattva path is to meet and take in dis-ease, troubles, and give out ease and succor. We also take need very much to take in ease and succor and give out more of the same. How do we do that? Tema Chodron suggests, among other things, that we use what seems like poison as medicine, which fits with our koan very well, carefully so that it doesn't harm you, rather so that you can disarm it. You can't disarm what you're not looking at, paying attention to, and connecting to. So underlying that, in terms of what seems like poison is also the root of medicine, which is also a matter of degree. Things are often healthy and, and life-giving in small quantities and poisonous in large. But underlying that, if you didn't have suffering in your life, how would you understand the suffering of others? Or if you turn away from your own suffering, you'll have to turn away from that suffering when you meet it in another. And on the other hand, the more you explore your own knots and trouble, the more you can accept someone else's. So to untie the tangles in our own hearts is, to is the basis for untangling our tangles and the world's tangles. So it's the work of lifetimes. So just engage. Engage knowing that while we breathe in medicine and disease, and most often breathe out medicine and disease, underlying that the whole world is medicine. So the breathing in and out of medicine and disease is the coming and going of our life, our daily life. But the world, the whole earth itself, as we say, is of the nature of Buddha. That's the whole earth is medicine. The foundation is medicine. And then Yunmen asks, where do you find the self? I used to leave that out. I found that very puzzling. So I would just leave it out and look at medicine and disease. But don't go looking for the self on a mountaintop or in a cave or somewhere apart from this world and its tumult and heartache and love and confusion. Don't go looking for the self on a mountaintop, in a cave, or anywhere other than here and now, on this breath, this moment. Where else could the self be besides right here and now? The self is not your personal property, which is a form of suffering isolating you, the idea of our self as a personal property. Our self is a self of relation. 
And how will we give and receive in this current tumultuous situation in the world, beyond zazen and tonglen and chanting and exploring dharma together? That's a question with many, many answers, million, myriad answers, which means we need an answer at each moment for that moment, particular answers for particular moments. But I will know that this tumult and urgency uh, is, we find it problematic because it's so complex and confusing and because it leads easily to anger. How shall we meet anger? Ours and others. You know, in our... um, in our in our practice, it used to say there are times when they would say that uh, uh, that that the one of the poisons was anger, but actually the translation is hatred. Hatred is a poison. Anger is complex. Hatred is always destructive. It's suffering in itself, and it produces more suffering. And it needs to be diffused and eased. But anger, anger can be negative or positive. Anger that is held inside tends to go rancid. But anger as part of a flow has the capacity to be positive or negative, depending on the way we meet it and use it. And we'll never be fully uh, skillful but we can aim in that direction because anger focuses and galvanizes us as it does all animals. And it's dangerous because it so easily becomes a flood and then it's destructive no matter how caring its starting point. So the breath is a wonderful way to work with anger because the breath brings us back into our body. If you breathe in, Negative anger, harshness. And if you can meet it with your compassion for that as an affliction, you don't, we don't have to take it as an attack on us, even when it seems to come to us that way. It's really not so much about us when anger comes toward us. It's more about the other person. To the extent we can, we, we meet, we, 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 Breathe in compassion for that affliction along with our awareness of that anger. And we breathe out the best we can, a collective unifying awareness. Or you breathe in a harsh reality like the suffering of Black Lives Matter. And you breathe out an anger that encourages you to take positive action. And this does happen. It happens a little easier with a breath practice to help us keep track of what we're taking in and how we are meeting it and what we're giving out. But I was talking this week to a a friend in New York who has been obsessed with TV news since the last inauguration, constantly enraged and unable to sever that cord, unable to disengage from it, even pretty much for a moment. And then last week, being in New York City, in the middle of a 
this lovely urban environment, for the first time in her life, she joined a protest, or at least the first time in decades, maybe her life. She joined, joined a protest filled with anger, but pulled by the energy outside, which was not only anger. It was anger and larger than anger. So the combined energy uh, propelled her for six miles with all these hundreds of companions calling out their protest. And afterward, she was exhausted. She was depleted. And she was satisfied. She had felt that she had done what she could that day. And then, as so often happens, actions have more consequences, more impact than we think, than we imagine they can. And so the next few couple of days later, she was Zooming on a Zoom uh, session with a client and told him what she had done. It came up uh, and he was a black, he's a black man. And because she had stood up for Black Lives Matter with her own body and told him how it had felt to her, he was free enough, safe enough with her for the first time to tell her of generations of suffering in his life and his family and to feel safe with her. So we don't know the consequences of our actions and there will be further consequences for both of them. I read something recently by um, a man named Eric Liu some of you may know, he's the founder of what he calls Citizen University. This is a, a project about be being and becoming good, active citizens. And he said, our country's soul is on fire. And what will douse the flames is not more hating, but more loving. This is our only hope, to love like citizens, to cherish our creed, our neighbors, and our enemies. Hurry up and love, he said. Our country calls us. To know that even our enemies or the people we call enemies, which is already too much. See, when we call someone an enemy, they are nothing but that. We have labeled and reduced them to that. When in fact, they are complex. And the qualities that are enemy to our values are indeed antithetical to our values. And we feel they're antithetical to our well-being of our society. But that's not all this other is. It's also a human being. With confusion and aspirations. To know that even our enemies, or who we feel are enemies are of the same nature as us, even if they don't want to recognize that. We don't have to go by their values. They have aspirations for ease and safety, and we can aim to relate to them through that, to try to understand them without agreeing. This is the whole earth is medicine. Each of us is medicine and disease, and the whole earth is medicine. You know, our bodhisattva path and the giving and receiving practice that gives shape to it, they have a great deal to offer in this world in crisis. All these problems from Black Lives Matter 
and LGBTQ lives and the dreamers and asylum seekers and the millions here in the U.S. on the brink of insolvency because of the pandemic and all the ways human-created climate change is destroying life. All these problems call for us to practice the Bodhisattva way to our utmost, finding some love for the other as for ourselves. So all this activity, all this movement and relationship is the natural condition of the universe we live in. All this movement of people and animals and plants and storms, all this interdependent impermanence and interdependence takes shape as galaxies, as subatomic particles, as viruses, as elephants. The endlessly moving universe takes shape as you and me, as individual beings. Each one, not only an individual, but the flowing universe happening. This is the heart of Buddha nature. So Zen is all about learning to be at one and the same time this limited individual, and this unbounded universe. And we will never complete this, this learning. This is our path, this is our direction, and we aim to live it to the best we can as we are in each moment. It's not about perfection. That the whole earth is medicine may be a form of perfection. We are a mixture. Remember, as Suzuki Roshi said, you're perfect just as you are and you could use a little improvement. Well, we could, we could use a lot of improvement. And at the same time, we are part of the perfection of the natural universe being the natural universe. So our practices are all about living in terms of both simultaneously, the unbounded universe and the limited being. Our Zazen, Soto Zen meditation, is perhaps the most pared down of all meditations, which is why we haven't generally introduced other breathing practices like Tonglen. They're very good practices. We don't want to, them to, some, in some way, replace Zazen. Zazen is the most pared down. No, doesn't have um, thoughts. It doesn't have koans. It doesn't have um, guided meditation. All of those are lovely. Guided meditations can be just wonderful experiences. But Zazen, this pared down practice, is precisely that way so that we can begin to consciously experience both the individual and the universe at the same time, our inside and outside. Just that, nothing extra. Now, we're always bringing extra into it, our crazy mind, our wishes to be calm, all kinds of extras. But when we're doing Zazen, even though we're bringing in all these crazy extras, we are still doing this basic practice of the universe and the individual not separated. It happens.
the relief and sense of peace that we um, sometimes have in zazen is the flavor of the experience of being undivided. It's a wonderful flavor. The we are we are always being undivided and also divided, so much so that we rarely know the undivided. So we're all living out this undivided nature at all times when we don't know it as well as when we think we do or we do. We're always living it, though we're so often deludedly acting out otherwise. The delusion of we're all separate and opposed. So somehow we do this undivided life as divided beings. It is just exactly as individual divided beings that we breathe in the world are sustained by it and breathe out our aim to live with wisdom and love for all. At every moment, we're calling out to the universe. All beings are. And we are responding to the universe. All beings are. It's an endless flow. Sitting in Zazen, standing up in protest, exploring racism more, uh, giving money to causes you value, breathing in dis-ease and breathing out ease. Our practice is to do each of these things as the matter of our very life for the welfare of all. As Corin said last week when we had our practice mornings, he quoted Dogen, founding master of Soto Zen from Japan, who said, let all things come in and rest in your heart and let your heart go out and rest in all things. Uh, I'd like, really like comments. I'm not sure whether uh, Brian, uh, Brian is hosting. And so far, everything's gone very smoothly. Thank you, Brian. Uh, and we may or may not, I like that hand, we may or may not get to breakout groups. So please, let's do comments and back and forth with that now for a while, because the talk has left us some time. So I saw Holly or Richard's hand up, a cute little yellow hand. You can either do that or you can just in turn uh, unmute yourselves. You're unmuted, man. I'm unmuted? Yes. Yes, you are. Oh, oh, I was going to say you can find the little hands down at the bottom if anybody wants to put their little hand up. No, I, um, I enjoyed your talk very, very much. Very thought provoking. I still wrestle with how I'm supposed to feel. Um, compassion and attachment and undividedness uh, with certain people in this world and in this nation. And that's a real difficult practice for me. You know, to be, it's, it is a very difficult practice. And maybe there's just a corner of that person as a personhood that you can feel sympathy for. There's got to be some corner that we can't and that, but we don't, that does not mean that we abandon our 
our our mind and our own values and what we think is right. Yeah. 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 Work of a lifetime or two. <laughs> oh. um, I, I, uh, Holly, I would just like to offer what helps me with the very difficult people is finding common ground, such as in thinking he too, I, I want to be loved. He too wants to be loved. I feel fear. He too wants, he too feels fear or she too feels fear. Very nice. That common general, um, general feelings that are true of humanity. I think it helps. Yeah. That's still difficult to do. And, but you know, um, there's so much to be, uh, upset about, concerned about, you know, whether it's, that noise. It's my phone. Oh, um, I think of like the pandemic, and I think of people not wearing masks now. I think of uh, people, you know, risking their lives and others by going to that rally. And it's just, it's a very complex thing. I'm trying to feel compassion, but it's hard. Yeah. Thank you, Vicki. That's that. I'll try to keep that in mind. Yeah, thank you. I would Donna's waving her hand. There we go. You're, Donna, you're muted. Put your finger on the space bar of your computer and hold it down. Can you hear me now? Yep. Oh, good. I Something got weird, but good. I just wanted to thank you for this talk. I, I'm, so, I'm so excited because... When you said that Zazen is the most pared down so we can experience um, the individual and the universe uh, consciously, not as a separated. And that was the purpose of, of, of uh, Zen. And, and that's why our uh, Zazen is pared down. And I, I came to, um, to Zen through practicing meditation in visualization, which benefited me a lot in my early years and I learned how to practice meditation but something happened when I came to the to Stone Creek and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to express it and I didn't understand it until today and that is exactly what it what it has done for me is is that's that paring down that spare practice of zazen has allowed me to really push my practice forward and it's been invaluable and i want to thank you for your talk it was just perfect and wonderful thank you yeah see it's like sorry his phone keeps ringing just take it out of here <laughs> Can I say something? Sure, June. Yes, of course. Um, and I'm sort of thinking about, I'm not, I'm saying this with a little trepidation, and you'll know why when I say it. Um, but the whole issue of like finding compassion for the other, I remember my mother telling me that like if she was afraid of somebody, because she was a tiny woman who would go to her council meetings in government and really, really give him hell. I mean, she would just stand up and just speak her truth. But she told me, and this is where I'm, forgive me, everybody. 
but she would imagine people either naked that she was afraid of or going to the bathroom. And <laughs> like I said, I had a little trepidation saying that. But when you said, you know, paring it down to the basics, like these are the most fundamental aspects of another human being, these functional aspects. And, you know, it sounds silly and gross, but um, really it works um, because, you know, if there's a terrifying person or somebody who you fear or are having trouble finding that corner that you spoke of, Jisho, in a philosophical way, if it's difficult to find a, a common ground philosophically, we can certainly find it functionally. And, you know, the fact that we yeah. are all humans functioning with these basic motor <laughs> capacities. But I, I, well, I just want to offer that. Right. I think, I think it's a wonderful first step for, well, to, to, to disrobe the person in front of her. <laughs> yeah. Basically, so, right? Yeah. So anyway, and, just, just and that takes away some of the power of their persona, which in many, some people is a very imposing. Yeah. Then, of course, just as your mother, then she didn't stop there. She right. used that to give her courage to speak her piece. So we want to also not only speak our piece, but but remember that that when we can drop that imposing being imposed on by that other, that we want to find some real commonality beyond the fact that we're all. Yes, we're all naked beings, but we aren't really taking our clothes off with them at that moment. Yeah. Okay, so, but we'll it's a good. Fr- it's a lovely. Me. It's a lovely image. So we should. We we could all use that when we're fa- feeling imposed on it. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> yeah, I also. <clears throat> I have another question. I really enjoyed the talk, G shows. Thank you so much. And uh, just like Donna, I feel that zazen <clears throat> is the biggest practice that has helped me with this dualistic thinking. Before Zazen, I didn't understand what that was or even how to not have that kind of consciousness. And now that I I somewhat do <laughs> and have still a lot to go, but I can feel the movement in the first five years that I've been doing this. I can definitely feel where I started and where I am right now. I just feel very, very grateful, very grateful. And my big problem is I want to share this with people, especially with my sisters um, who have only had a Catholic background. And although this is in Catholicism, it's not, you have to find it in the contemplative Catholics, um, it's non-dual thinking. And I have this burning desire, but just don't know how. <laughs> so maybe I'm just stuck with that. And that's kind of like, I wait, I only wish that I could, like could, I could crack a little bit of the, of the, of the thinking that of the black and white, and this is right. And that is wrong. And you are in, and I am out and upside down and inside out. I just want to crack that so much, but I'm, I'm stuck. So, so I, 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 I'm always reminded Vicki of a folk song that has this line about, um, you got, I'm, here I am, I'm standing on your toes. You got to speak my language. It's the only one I knows. So you, you, if your sister is Catholic or has that as a background that she's still connected to, if you find her language, find Catholic contemplative language and use oh, that, yeah. don't try to bring ours in. And oh, also no, no. don't proselytize. One of the things that we need to do is, is just be the best and most of what we say, say we say, accepting we can be. 
And except yeah. that if someone is black and white and they're thinking as so many of and we all are yeah. in so many ways. And we've all been discovering that more and more. That's many ways the 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 point of uh the the the, the linkage with Zen and uh, studying racism is how much how black and white we are and how racist, how all the unconscious biases that we hold and how to not be caught by them. So acceptance yeah. and and kindness go a long way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all I can do. And uh, oh, n- no, I don't bring any Buddhism. I mean, I go to I go to their language. And even that they have a hard time understanding yes. their own, their own <laughs> tradition, which I've, which I'm still a part of. That's all you know that tradition. Understanding. So I, I, I just try. But yeah, I have this, I just feel like that they would be happier if they could just crack, if they could have a crack. Yeah. And all we can, the, the best thing to do it, when words don't work well, rather than frustrating yourself and perhaps them with more words is, sim- is to let go of words and just let the action speak, the kindness speak. Yeah. And, and that carries through from heart to heart and That's sympathy true. for their situation works best. Thank you. Is there anyone who doesn't usually say something who would like to say something? I've I've loved the comments from Vicky and 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 uh, Holly and Jude. Now Donna spoke up, who doesn't often. Is there anyone else want to leave room for anyone who has something they'd like to say or ask? I would just want to bring a point to. We lost you, John. You've got to leave your finger on that space bar. Right, I got it. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, yeah, I've noticed that um, where in the, before I started my practice, I, I'd meet people or I'd see people or I'd hear people, and and I would immediately have be judgmental about who they are, and I'm, I'm and in my head I'm deciding these are bad people and these are stupid or whatever. But since I've been practicing, I'm learning more about um, the whole issue of everybody has a story, a backstory. You don't know what it is. You don't know how they were raised. You don't know what terrible things have happened in their life. And all of these thoughts about the other person, which I never thought about before, but it's, it's something that I'm aware of all the time. So even though I, I, I see a lot of bad stuff happening, you know, I, I always, I don't just assume that this person is 100% bad. It's just that I don't know what happened in their lifetime or what brought them to this point. So that's the big thing for me is that suddenly I'm aware that people have lots of issues, you know, and what you're seeing is just the surface. You don't know what's under the surface. And that's been a very profound experience for me, especially these days with what's happening and with the president and all of that. I still am aware that this is a person and and who knows how they became that person. So anyway, that's what I have to say. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Okay. Let's go to our closing chant then. There are no more comments now. 